0: He's risen. Welcome, Grace family, on this Easter Sunday. Now, whether you've been a part of our community for a while now, or you may be joining us for the first time because a family member or a friend sent you a link, we say welcome to you, and we are so glad you are here with us to celebrate our risen Savior, Jesus. Now, it hurts us not to be together in person this morning, but from children to youth to adults we invite you to join us in a time of reflection and celebration and worship. So before we do that, let's just enter into a time of prayer as we acknowledge and invite God into this time. Before we do that, just take a deep breath, and whatever posture seems fitting for you in this moment, let's acknowledge God. Father, we acknowledge you and we invite you into this time. Wake us up to the reality of the resurrected Jesus and what that means for us even now. Thank you that no matter the current moment and what's going on in us and around us, this reality cannot be shaken. Open up our hearts and our minds to whatever it is you have for us today. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Good morning. It's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody. Well, (laughs) we wish we were together. We love being together. Easter is like the greatest gathering for our church. I know that we all are sad that we can't be together, but The circumstances being different doesn't change the power or importance of the day that we're celebrating. This, our most blessed celebration, the day of the year where we celebrate and realize and and draw our attention to the fact that God has gifted us eternity through the salvation and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing together now this morning. Uh, Raise your voices like we always do. We're a singing church, so uh, we're going to sing all hail King Jesus. Hallelujah, King Jesus, our King We love you, let's
2: sing to him now. There was a moment when the lights went out Dead
3: Easter Grace family, we're going to be turning in our Bibles to Revelation 1 9 through 18, and we're going to get a vision of our risen Lord. So, will you join with me in reading Revelation 1 9 through 18? I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord.
4: Good morning, Grace. So good to celebrate our risen savior today, especially when times are challenging like they are right now. what we need is this reminder that Jesus is alive and that He is on His throne, and that He is with us. And so we're going to celebrate that this morning. And we're doing that through a a bit of a different passage. Uh, Most of us are obviously more familiar with the gospel accounts of the resurrection when Jesus appears to His disciples that first Easter day. But the Bible gives us other times where the risen Christ appears. We all know the story of Paul on the road to Damascus when the risen Christ encountered him. And today we're going to look at the final appearance of Jesus in the Bible, where he appears to his apostle John on the island of Patmos. And John is given a vision of the risen Jesus that is so beautiful and hopeful. And I think exactly what we need to see and hear today. So before we see Jesus in this passage, I want to set the context Uh, Verse nine gives us these three realities that perfectly set the context for revelation and actually the context for our lives today. John says this in verse nine, he says, I'm your companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance. Those three realities I wanna talk about before we look at Jesus himself. So first, the suffering. He says, I'm your partner in suffering. And the literal word there is the word pressure. It's the idea of being squeezed, being, being pressed by life. And John was experiencing pressure. He is now an old man, and he is on the island of Patmos, and he is there because he's been sent into exile. It's this small little island in the Mediterranean. It's so basically a rock quarry. There's nothing else there. But because of his faith in Jesus, he has been exiled to Patmos by the Roman government. And he writes to seven churches that are also experiencing pressure, feeling squeezed by life. And what's been happening is the Roman government is starting to crack down on Christians who proclaim Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord. And so some of them are losing their property, some of them are losing their jobs, and some will actually end up losing their lives. So they're suffering, they're experiencing the pressures of this fallen world. And really in our own ways, We experience suffering today, and particularly in this uncharted territory we find ourselves in right now. We are feeling the pressure. We're feeling squeezed by life. For some of us, that pressure comes in the form of isolation that we're experiencing. For some, it's the economic uncertainties and realities we're having to face. For some of us, it's the health concerns. But we feel the pressure. We feel the suffering. But John goes on to also talk about not just the suffering, but the kingdom. He looks around with his physical eyes, and all all he sees is the kingdom of Rome, that Rome is winning, the kingdoms of the earth are winning. But through the eyes of faith, he sees there is another kingdom. It is the kingdom of Jesus. And he knows that Jesus is the king of this kingdom, and Jesus ushered in a new kingdom when he came. It's a kingdom of love and forgiveness and self-sacrifice and joy. And despite all appearances, Jesus' kingdom is the one that will last. His throne is the one that will stand. And so he's speaking to these churches who are going through it and he says, just as a reminder, remember, you do not belong to the kingdoms of the world. You are sons and daughters of the true king and his kingdom will last forever. And on an Easter Sunday, that is so good for us to remember in the midst of a fallen world where we're feeling the pressure all around us that we are part of another kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the King. And that means that actually our future is bright and hopeful and secure. And we can count on that no matter what we go through. So you have suffering And then you have kingdom, those two realities. And in the collision of those two realities, you have this third reality, patient endurance. That is what is required in the collision of these two other realities is patient endurance. And really that's the call of the book of Revelation. It's living in the hope of God's kingdom and accepting the challenges that come because we still live in a fallen world, trusting in the king, staying faithful, to His kingdom. Patient endurance. That is certainly the call for us in these times, right? Is patient endurance. Now the question is, how do you maintain patient endurance when things are hard? And one answer is what we need is we need to see Jesus again. We need to see the risen Lord present with us through Our challenges and so that's what Jesus gives John a vision of his risen life and John then gives it to us through the words of Revelation and so I want to consider together the risen Christ today and I want to focus first on what John sees and then on what John hears okay so first let's just kind of think through and work through in this passage what does John see when he sees the risen Christ in verse 12, uh, he hears a voice and he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And here's the first thing he sees. He saw seven golden lampstands and right among the lampstands was someone standing there like a son of man. We learn later in the chapter that the lampstands represent those seven churches and their faithful witness, they're being a light to the world. But it's a beautiful picture. The first thing we see about Jesus is he is standing right there, right in the middle of his churches. And I guarantee you those seven churches needed to be reminded of that at that moment because they were feeling the pressure. I mean, life was hard and the temptation was to think, Jesus, where are you? Like, where are you in the midst of this? Have you abandoned us? Where have you gone? And so the first thing John sees is this reminder from Jesus, I haven't gone anywhere. I am with you always. I am right in your midst. Such a good thing to be reminded of for us today. That the Lord, He's always near. He is among us. He is with us, no matter what we're going through. So the next thing John sees is how Jesus is dressed. Verse 13, it says, He's dressed in a robe, reaching down to His feet and with a golden sash around His chest. So he's actually dressed like a priest, like one of the high priests of Israel. And what priests are, priests are mediators between God and the people. And of course, the high priest would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people that made a way for there to be reconciliation between God and the people. And we have in the risen Jesus, the ultimate high priest who offered actually himself as an eternal sacrifice once for all, for the sins of all humanity. And now he stands in heaven as the perfect mediator between God and humanity. He is the God man. He is the perfect great high priest. It moves on in verse 14 to talk about his hair and face. Verse 14, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And then at the end of uh, verse 16, it says, His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Okay, I want you to just picture looking into that face and that hair. It's a picture of 100% purity and radiance and glory. That white hair is probably meant to convey the fact that there's not a hint, there's not a trace of dirt or imperfection or darkness in him. And of course, that that hair, that face, it reflects his character. When you look into the face of the risen Christ, you are looking into the face of someone who has not a hint of sin, of selfishness, or greed, or anxiety, or insecurity, but is 100% pure goodness and love and joy, and courage, and wisdom, and peace, and self-control. 100% purity. And not just purity, I think there's also this image of the sun shining, there's just a radiance, there's a a glory, there's an absolute beauty to him that is almost hard to look directly into. It's kind of like looking into the sun at midday. That is the radiance of the presence of the risen Christ. So good. Verse 14 then goes the the end of verse 14 goes on to talk about his eyes. It says his eyes were like blazing fire. And you you can you can tell a lot about a person by looking into his eyes. And Jesus has these eyes of blazing fire, which I assume means something like these eyes that are so penetrating and so purifying. He has a gaze that just looks right through you, right into you can a gaze that can burn away any of the, the, the things we might try to put in the way. It can just see right into our souls. Nothing escapes those eyes. He sees the good. He sees the bad. He sees the ugly. It is all laid bare before him who searches hearts and minds of everybody. He penetrates with those eyes. And then he moves from his head to, down to his feet in verse 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. So if his head is all radiance and glory, his feet are strong and stable. They're like pure bronze that's been refined in a fire. It's strong. It's stable. He is standing on a foundation that is firm and secure. It's interesting that the prophet Daniel uh, has this vision of the kingdoms of the world and they are portrayed as this statue. And the statue has all these beautiful elements on the top like gold and silver, but when it comes down to the feet, the feet are made of partially baked clay. And it's this picture that the kingdoms of the world, however amazing and impressive they may look, are ultimately based on a foundation that's not secure. They will not last. But what John sees in the risen Christ is this picture of beauty is built on a foundation that will last because his kingdom alone will stand. He alone will be king for all eternity. And then it ends with two visual images of Jesus' voice. Verse 15, it says his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And then in verse 16, it talks about out of his mouth was coming a sharp double-edged sword. You know, you you can tell a lot about a person by their voice, right? Are they nervous? Are they happy? Are they excited? Are they confident? And we're told about the risen Jesus that His voice is like the sound of rushing waters, which must mean something like His voice is utterly authoritative, right? He He can just speak an utter truth, and it carries an authority. And yet, at the same time, it can be this voice that is that is calming and soothing like rushing waters. And I think, I just think of my own life, and many of you could attest to this, that those moments when Jesus speaks his word into our souls, it has that combination of being this voice of authority and yet this very calming and soothing presence. And then you have that image of this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's probably the most graphic Image in the whole thing, but what is that meant to convey? As you watch the way he uses this sword in the rest of Revelation, you realize that there's this battle going on for the world. And Jesus' weapon is his word. He defeats his enemies simply by speaking. He doesn't actually use an actual sword, he just speaks and he defeats his enemies, and it's a picture of him as king and as end-time judge, the one who has authority to pronounce definitive statements and pronounce judgments on reality and what is evil and what is good. And in the end, he wins simply by speaking truth. So can you picture him on this Easter morning, the risen Christ as he appeared to John, standing among his people, in priestly clothes, this pure white hair, this face shining like the sun, eyes of fire, feet of bronze, and a voice like rushing water, the sword of truth coming from his mouth. That is what John sees, and that's what we need to see on this Easter Sunday. And then I want to end with what John hears. And I think that maybe what he hears is the most important part of this vision of all. Verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, And here are the words of the risen Christ to John, and I believe to us today. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The first words out of his mouth are these, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know, that is the most frequently repeated command in all of scripture. More than any other command in scripture, we hear the simple command, fear not. Do not be afraid, and I assume that's because we, we need to hear that command so often. I know I need to hear it all the time. And especially in these unprecedented times we're living in where there's a lot that we might fear, we need to hear the voice of the risen Jesus saying, do not be afraid. And then he tells us why we don't have to be afraid. He says, I am the first and the last. Now let me suggest that is the boldest thing a human being has ever said. And throughout Revelation, he will make similar statements. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And what it is, it is a claim, a very obvious claim, to be the living God of the universe. He is claiming that the eternal God has stepped into human history in a human being in the person of Jesus and that God has forever joined himself to humanity in the person of Jesus. It's a staggering and a beautiful claim. And then he says, This I'm the living one. I was dead. And look, I'm alive forever and ever. He says, I conquered the ultimate enemy. And really, death is the ultimate enemy behind all fears, is the ultimate fear of death. And Jesus says, I conquered it. I died and I rose again. And then he says this, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Meaning, I own the place now. Death, Hades, it's mine. I have authority there, I've been there, I've conquered it, and I hold the keys. It's mine. And what that means is that if you ever find yourself there, if you ever find yourself in death, I have the power to come and unlock the doors and bring you out, because I own the place, because all authority has been given to me. So you do not need to fear your life, and you do not need to fear death. I am the living one. And what a great promise on this Easter Sunday, when we are being more than ever confronted with the possibility of our mortality, to hear the one who has conquered death, who owns it, and can get us out should we ever find ourselves there. So what a great reminder on this Easter Sunday, these great simple reminders from the risen Jesus, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Patient endurance. As he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And look, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.
1: Hey Grace
5: family. Happy Easter everyone. I miss seeing you so much.
1: I do too, uh, really do. You know there's something that uh, really struck me that Dave mentioned that this command of do not be afraid was the most oft-mentioned command in the Bible and I think I knew that but I really never contemplated the significance of that. You know what does that say about man's propensity to be fearful and and even more, what does that say about God's desire to, to calm those fears and to give us a spirit of, of uh, peace and comforting assurance? Uh, I, I love that, that was just so good. And you know, Tracy and I, we've been married for a little over 30 years now. And over the course of that time, we've had to contend with uh, a fair amount of, of fear and, uh, and how that has sort of um, really impacted um, our life and, and, and your life, Tracy. And, and so I've had this uh, unique front row seat to see really God doing an in, in incredible work in, in her life over those uh, years, little by little, slowly but surely, uh, revealing himself to you, um, calming you, uh, reminding you of important truth about who he is and his love for you and his voice just saying, do not be afraid. And, uh, and so I've asked Tracy to, to share with you all a bit about her story uh, with the hope that it would be an encouragement to you all. And some of you might even specifically relate to some of the things she's sharing. And so if that's the case, we hope that her story will be of great hope to you.
5: So, as Mark mentioned, I'm here with you this morning to share with you a little bit about my life uh, living as a a fearful person. Um, For as long as I can remember, I have been a really cautious person, I have a lot of deep feelings, I think, deep thoughts, I'm sensitive, and that combined with being raised in a home where there was addiction uh, made for a very interesting combination of living my life with anxiety and fear as my go-to emotion. For many years, I believed lies about who God was, lies that I conjured up in my own head, lies that the enemy would feed me. Some of these lies were that I didn't believe that God was with me, that he was for me. I thought he was angry with me all the time and he was disappointed in me. The biggest lie of all that I believed was, was that God was out to get me and make my life really difficult. I believed in a God who was small and I lived waiting for my um, the proverbial shoe to drop. I didn't believe that God was my Father or that Jesus was sent to die on the cross for me and that He loved me. I also had two really big idols in my life. The first was for my children to grow up in an environment that was pain-free and chaos-free. And the second idol was actually me and the preservation of my own life. The two go hand-in-hand because I was really afraid of dying and leaving my children without a mother, and thus they're having to navigate a life that was filled with pain and suffering. And that was something that I was desperately trying to prevent from happening. So between my low view of God and my idols, they produced a great amount of fear in my life, which resulted in me being a control freak, quite frankly. And worry strangled my mind, and these beliefs went on for years and years and years until God actually had mercy on me. Until God said enough was enough. Twelve years ago, I needed to have major surgery. And after my surgery was done, I developed an infection and I, was, um, I needed to have an antibiotic. And unbeknownst to my doctor and me, I had an extreme allergic reaction to this medicine. I returned home after the surgery and proceeded to get very very sick and I remember lying in my bed crying with my mom saying I don't want to die I don't want to die and yet knowing that that was exactly what was happening to me which my doctor actually confirmed with me later I was only one or two days away from death. All of the years of trying to manage Uh, the pain and suffering for my children, all the years making choices to preserve my life by not doing or doing certain things, the thing I actually feared most in that time was happening. I ended up back in the hospital, and I needed to receive some blood transfusions. There were so many people here at Grace praying for me, and it was at that time that the Holy Spirit began to do a mighty work in my life. He began to heal me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And as I sat alone one night in the hospital, I was watching the blood from the IV drip into the vein of my arm. And God gently and so lovingly reminded me of the cross, the basis for our faith, that just as this blood was saving my life right now, so did the blood of Jesus save me for all eternity. I can remember this night as vividly as I can remember anything else. And I heard God's still small voice Say to me that he sent his son Jesus to die for me because he loves me. All of the things I feared about God and about who he was were actually coming to fruition, and one would think that in my heart I would have continued to believe all the lies about God more deeply. But instead, do you know what God did? He began to soften my heart, and I began to receive the truth about who he is and the grace he has for my life. In the midst of one of the most challenging circumstances of my life, it was the faithful presence of my risen Savior with me that changed everything. My story of physical suffering doesn't end there. It has continued over these past 12 years, but God has also continued to show me His presence. He has taught me through pain and suffering that His love for me is deep and wide. He has shown me the love of a Father, and He has taught me about His trustworthiness and His sovereignty. He is a God who is big. He is a God who is in control over all things. And the biggest revelation to me that I have learned is that God has used my suffering to bring me into a deeper relationship with Him. God is a jealous God, and He wanted my full heart. He has taught me that perfect love casts out fears, and the antidote to worry is a secure mind. Isaiah 26.3 reads, Thou shalt keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me, because He trusts me. For me, even after all that God has taught me, I can still become anxious and feel afraid. This is not because our God changed. No, He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm so grateful for that. My fear comes when I fall into the trap of believing the lies of the world, or when my own flesh gives way, or when I'm not doing the work of being in God's Word and remembering all the work that He has done in my life. The first week under quarantine, I was a wreck. I was living and breathing the news and what was happening by minute by minute. I was fearful. I was anxious. I was crying. But because of what God has taught me, I knew that I needed to go to battle. I needed to begin to spend more time in God's Word, listening to sermons, blasting and blaring worship music in my house. I needed to pray and I needed the nudge of the Holy Spirit to turn my eyes back to Jesus. It has taken discipline. It has taken time, and it has taken effort. But this time and effort has been worth it, and it has made such a difference. I would like to end with this. If you know me at all, which many of you do, you have seen me live a life that has been filled with fear and anxiety. My hope is, is that you've also seen me move into living a more peaceful and fearless life. I want you to know that the growth has nothing to do with me or anything I've done. The difference in my life is because the risen Savior has changed me. He has rescued me and redeemed me, and he has called me by name. To God be the glory for that.
1: That's so good. Thank you so much, Tracy, for for sharing that. You know, Even though I've lived... uh, through that with you uh, as your husband. I love, I love hearing that. I never get tired of, of that story. It makes me so grateful for, for God's loving hand on your life and, and how He can heal wounds and, and, uh, and just uh, repair those broken places in your life. So anyway, we hope that uh, this was an encouragement to you as well. Let's take some time uh, to uh, just worship the Lord in song right now.
2: Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Stars they wet the morning sun.
1: Jesus you are alive our risen king today we raise our voices and our praise to you you deserve all we can give and more we love you
2: Jesus amen amen
4: so we hope this has been a great time of worship and reflection for you and now we invite you just to have a conversation we're going to put some questions on the screen So just discuss what you've heard and what you're thinking on this Easter Sunday.
1: And let us end this time with a benediction. May the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.